I'm Dave Baker. This is episode 27 of It's Pronounced Zine. On this episode, I interview my dear friend, Dave Crossland. We talk about comics, Invader Zim, and how to stay productive and not die of failure. Because he's extremely successful and I am not. And he schools me and gives me lots of great life advice. You will leave this podcast being extremely uplifted. Here comes Dave Baker with the show Talking about paper publications you should know Authors and photographers that are fresh on the scene Don't be getting twisted Twisted It's pronounced zing Zing, zing, zing 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 Fucking Jason Bourne style. <laughs> Why do I know that if I sit with my back to the door, I can run for 35 minutes flat out before my hands start shaking? Yeah. <laughs> also, I can draw a wicked invader Zim. Fuck all of you. I'm Dave Crossland. <laughs> that's it. That's pretty much that's my intro. Yeah. If I was writing your biopic, that's how it would start. That You should write my, all my bios from here on out. Let's do this. I, I write all of Nicole's bios. Really? Yeah, that's why they're always like weird and loopy. <laughs> I just thought she was on drugs. <laughs> the last one I did was uh, by day, Nicole does freelance illustration for toy companies. By night, she's a vigilante inflicting justice upon corrupt public officials. Uh, I mean, wait, no. By night, she makes comics, like, and then a bunch of art books. Mm-hmm. She totally just makes comics. That's all she makes. Huh. Uh, nice. Yeah, which is probably not something that necessarily fits Nicole as a person, but I sent her like 10 bios and she was like, I'm going to go with this one. I was like, all right, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. You guys are, good, are a good team. Uh, thank you. That's mm-hmm. very kind of you to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're a one-man army. <laughs> a creative force to be reckoned with. I've tried to be. I'd like to pull more people in, though. Honestly, I'm, I'm, I've reached a point where I'm like, I need more collaborators. In terms of collaborators, in terms of artistic Collaboration uh, or writers or what does uh, that mean? Writers, designers, uh, photographers, uh, filmmakers. It's like uh, I see what friends of mine have done. I see what uh, people I look up to have done. And I just think uh, it'd be nice to uh, branch out and just kind of have an A-team to be able to go to. Mm. I feel like I do, but I, I feel like I've always they've, they've been there for a few years, but I don't engage that very often. Mm. Straight up collaboration. Purpose, purposefully or just kind of you're just off in your corner drawing and then you stand, stand up and you're like, oh, wait, my food's over there. Hey, what's up, bro? <laughs> I think more the latter. Like I just get so down in it, mm-hmm. in the creation. That I'm like, oh, wait, I, I could get a designer to do this. Like mm. with book layout and stuff. Like all my self-published stuff I've designed on my own. But I'm reaching a point now where I'm like, it'd be nice to just have a designer knock this out. Mm-hmm. And just pay them for their time, you know. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm looking to grow, but you can't always grow alone, you know. So. Yeah. You can't always grow alone, the Dave Crossland story. <laughs> <laughs> or the Dave Crossland porn parody. One of the two. What? I think they're the same yeah, thing. Yeah, the same thing, yeah. yeah You're the much. first porn parody that's like made while the biopic is being made <laughs> simultaneously, and they're in the same movie. Oh, yeah. The movie is about making a porn parody about the movie that you're making at the same time. It's yeah. so super meta. Why are you it's so brainy, better. Dave Crossland? I can't help it. God, it's just you're the so way I work. smart. Uh, as intelligent as you are talented. I read a lot while hanging upside down, so that helps. And masturbating. <laughs> With my feet. <laughs> Figure that one out, people. Yeah, fucking A. Uh, careful, I'm pretty sure that's what killed uh, Dave, David Carradine. Oh, well. Yeah. It's either that or the Yakuza, one of the two. <laughs> oh, Do you know about that shit? What? That he actually died in a maybe, maybe not Yakuza setup thing? Whoa. Like, he died from... 
uh, autoerotic asphyxiation. Oh, yeah. Which is what they say. Mm -hmm. But apparently he was in Japan at that point shooting a movie that was backed by Yakuza Money. Oh, boy. And so there's like this conspiracy theory that he... I don't know if he wanted to quit the movie, but whatever. They had a creative disagreement. Mm -hmm. And then he turns up dead. Damn. (laughs) Fucking crazy, right? Jesus, yeah. They don't just, like, chop your fingers off anymore or just kill you. Yeah, they're like, we're going to make you (laughs) super disgraceful. (laughs) Oh, God. You have offended our leader. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) I don't don't know how much we can say out here. We'll end up on their list. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Fucking A. Um, Anyway, I'm here with, after that super long rambling introduction, I'm here with Dave Crossland. Hello, people. Artist of many wonderful things like Invader Zim, uh, Scarface. Oh, yeah. Scarred for Life. Scarred for Life with John Lehman. Um... What's the other book you did with John Lehman, the image book? Puffed? Oh, Puffed, yeah. Puffed. That was my very first professional book. Was it? Mm-hmm. I think that's the first book I saw by you, too. Oh, man. I found it in a used bookstore, and I was like, this is dope as fuck! Yes! I love finding books, my books, in, uh, or even my friend's books, in used bookstores. I just love that they're out there circulating. It's like Puffed is out of print, my uh, slop collection, my, mm-hmm. uh, my zines collected into a trade with the image. That's out of print. Like, but they're still just out there. I found a couple of my books at Amoeba a couple weeks ago, mm. and I have I completely agree. I I love finding them because it's like you said, it's like this weird secondhand ecosystem where they're just kind of like floating around and like. I also would love to imagine the story behind why they're there. Like somebody oh. was sitting on their couch and was like, "I can either get rid of this comic, or I can get rid of this comic. I don't even know space. Fuck it, you're going in the trash. <laughs> ah, I'm taking you at Amoeba. Yeah, yeah. Or not. Someone's just like, man, fuck this Scarface comic. This shit's weak. Yeah, yeah they like, just. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I I got excited once uh, years ago. I was in San Francisco at the library, and um, I started finding my friend's books on the shelves. And then I looked around, I was like, holy shit, this is a badass graphic novels section here. And it was in the young adult like area. Uh, I was there for the comics, I swear. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I go up to the librarian, I'm just like, oh, you have so many comics, this is great. And she's like, oh, I'm the book buyer. And that was when I start learning that like libraries were actively like pushing to get good comics in, and not just mainstream, like indie, mm-hmm. like, random stuff. It's funny that those people are the same people that carried the torches that killed the comic book industry in the 50s. (laughs) Yay! the same people. Librarians? Fuck yeah. They're the descendants of them. (laughs) The librarians before them. (laughs) The evil librarians of the 1950s were the ones who sided with fucking Wortham. Yeah, it's like the the Galra on uh, that new Voltron series. They're not all bad. They're not all bad, bro. They're not all bad, bro. (laughs) Or are they? Or are they? Maybe this is all just an insipid, stealth organization where the current librarian crop pretend to Mm. be on the side of literacy and the right, but they're actually super fucked up and they're just making a long list of cartoonists to kill. Yes. It could happen. I've noticed a bookish looking old woman hanging out outside my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) She's got a sniper rifle. (laughs) It looked like a thermos, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? (laughs) Um... Let's talk a little bit about your creative journey, my friend, because I've known you for a while now. I've known you for, what, like five Ooh, years, four, five, six years? Five or six. I, I, I met know. you right before I moved back, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. God, that's like five or six years now. Um, and I met you at San Diego, uh, where you and Mafood and a bunch of people were making stuff mm-hmm. uh, for the first Trickster thing. Oh, yes, Trickster. Um, and you were super, super nice. Um, and you had no reason to be. 
You could have very well just been, yeah, fuck you, kid. Ah. <laughs> and you were super, super cool. And we've kind of remained friends since then. Yeah. Um, but what uh, I personally know some of this because you and I have talked. But okay. for the people who don't know, yes, the how newbies. Did you, how did you get into making comics and zines? Uh, I got in. Well, I got into comics early, early on, like in childhood. Because um, I was really into science fiction, movies, action movies and stuff. Like, as a little kid, I was introduced to some really, like, great R-rated stuff. Like Terminator, Predator, RoboCop, The Thing. Um, and I remember somewhere along the lines, like, that bled into me making little comic book stories. Like, I would see a movie, and then I'd draw scenes from it. Mm. And that was the earliest comic stuff I can remember. Uh, and then as I got older, I learned what comics were. And I started actually trying to mimic comics. Like, making my own Ninja, Tur- Ninja Turtle adventures. And whatnot with um, the literal Ninja Turtles or with like Ninja yeah. Turtles s characters with the Ninja Turtles. That's fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> I remember my favorite comic from like childhood was uh I made a and I I finished it. That was the biggest thing for me. It was like I was in sixth or seventh grade and I was like I'm gonna finish this and it took like the whole school year I think. But I did a comic where um it starts with Homer and Bart Simpson having a barbecue. Homer puts too much lighter fluid on the grill and explodes in like this atomic blast. And uh, Homer and Bart are just dead. But out of the blast comes uh, Grill Man. Yes. And he was like a mutated grill. And he fights Powder Toast Man. Yes. And he like kicks his ass. Ren and Stimpy come in and have to like revitalize him. And they become heroes themselves. And there's just this huge, like terribly vulgar fight between them. This is amazing. It's just stuff from my child mind. And how how old were you? Seventh grade? Ooh, what is that? God. Is that 13, 14? It would have been when, when Ren and Stimpy were out. So whenever that was, 90s. Okay. Like probably hmm, maybe my preteens, like okay. 12. It's interesting. Might have been early. That might have been early high school even. So at that point then, were you mostly looking at animation stuff? I was looking at everything. A uh, lot, lot of cartoons. Uh, for me as an early, like as a... Uh, late adolescent, early teen- teens. Wait, is adolescent a teenager? I don't know. We'll Whatever. go with yes. Yes, yes. Let's see. Yes. <laughs> when I was a teen, um, I was. It was a. It was a mix. It was like, uh, like Batman the animated series, Ninja Turtles. I can't. I grew up with like Transformers and GI Joe, and that was actually the big break when um my I found out there were Transformers comic books, mm. and I remember my father. I think he was. At, we were at the grocery store, and he used to sell comics at grocery stores. And so I was at the turnstile, and I was like, oh, Transformers, I know that. And he bought me that comic, and that was my, my entree into comics. Mm. Or, yeah. Uh, it's interesting, though, that you were in comics at that time, and yet nothing that you have referenced was created by Todd McFarlane or Rob Liefeld <laughs> or Jim Lee. <laughs> oh, that stuff, too. That stuff got me. Did you really? Did okay. really? Yeah. yeah the, the, um, that's the thing. My influences come from everywhere, so I'm... I could talk for hours about one thing or mm-hmm. film or comics, sure, sure. cartoons. But um, uh, yeah, the 90, the Image Revolution, as it's oh, called. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's a great documentary. Um, I actually haven't seen that documentary. Dude, it's great. I know. I've seen like every other of one of that production company's documentaries, like mm-hmm. the Warren Ellis one and the Grant Morrison one. Um, but I haven't seen that one. It's worth it. It's worth the time. And the extras, I hear, are really amazing. Mm. Like the special features. But um, I just want, like, is there footage of Jim Valentino smiling? Because I feel like I've never seen that guy smile, I've seen, ever. I've seen him smile in person. You're, see? But you, you, you breathe rarefied air, my friend. You're walking with the titans. <laughs> Every time I see Jim Valentino, he looks like an extra in a film noir movie. He's got such a distinctive face, and he's always oh, yeah. kind of like, hmm. 
I think he's just, you know, trying to keep assholes away, you know. Do you think he gets mobbed at shows? I'm sure. People who know who he is. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know. Like, you never know who is into comics, especially these days. Seems mm-hmm. like everybody is on some level. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I'm sure he gets recognized. I hope he but does. He's an icon. I mean, like, those guys. Like, I hate to say this, but there's five icons and Wills Portacio and Jim Valentino. <laughs> like, I love all seven of them, but come on. Wills, Wills Portacio is fucking rad as shit. Oh, yeah. He's, his shit is so cool. Mm-hmm. And homie had a stroke and relearned to draw with his other hand. Jesus, that I didn't know that. That shit's crazy. Damn. Yeah. And wow. it looks better than before. Well, maybe not better, but close to what it was before. <laughs> his shit's rad. Wetworks yeah. was cool. Yeah, Wetworks, Wetworks was amazing. I remember in high school, I was like, oh, shit, Wetworks is out. Yeah. And then months later, like, Wetworks number two is out. Yeah. <laughs> and then two years later, Wetworks three. Whoa, finally. Yeah, but I... But yeah, when those image books were coming out, I was I was on that train. That's was, so fun. I was on the image teat. I was not. I was a little bit too young. Mm-hmm. I kind of not that it missed me because I went back and like I knew all of their Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. But I kind of and then I saw Spawn around and I saw Young Blood around, but I never. I wasn't really in a comic book store until I was like sixteen or seventeen when I worked at one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that point, it was kind of like. Marvel Knights, there's like second generation of image yeah. and uh you know like the DC era like first wave of Dan DiDio shit. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately when I was growing up growing up mm-hmm. all of my comics knowledge was like weird pieced together os- like osmosis rumor mill where I'd be like you read comics? Tell me about don't do what is the I have to know. Does this happen? Who is Storm? Is she a thing? I just know she has white hair, and then the TV show, I know stuff, but who yeah. is she in the comics? Yeah, yeah. That will, God, that was, man, that was such a good time, though, like, for comics. And there's there's so much history, but it's so much easier to look back and, like, find stuff now. Back then, you had to go to a shop mm-hmm. and dig through stacks of books, mm-hmm. or you had to, like, have an older brother or sister or a parent who was into it. Mm-hmm. You know, kids are lucky now, you know, they can just go on some damn illegal comic site and just <laughs> reach it online for free. <laughs> None of that existed when I was a no, kid. No, for real. But um but to to get back to the image thing, that's what um I think that's what really tipped me into wanting to be a professional comic artist was image cuz uh, it was it was like junior high. Uh, it's weird all the years mashed together eventually. But uh junior high I remember seeing that Levi's 501 ad. Fuck yeah, Director Man. Yes, yes, Director Man. Or Spike Man. It was Spike Man, wasn't it? No, man, it was Director Man. Oh, God. It was Director Man. My mind was like, Spike Man's better. Just remember that. (laughs) It is better. (laughs) Yeah. He was Director Man, and it was Spike Lee with a camera on a helmet. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Well, what director wouldn't want that? Me. (laughs) I don't want that. That's fucking terrible. It's like a superpower. 40-pound beta camera on your head. <laughs> he's like he's Diesel like fucking uh, <laughs> he he was he was like fucking elephant man. He couldn't go to sleep or die, He'd suffocate <laughs> from the camera. Oh god. That's so cool. That's so fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna draw that when I get home. Fuck um, yeah. But um No, but yeah, you're saying I, that like you seeing those dudes going out and actually like, make it themselves. Yeah, and seeing him like just seeing him up there like, whoa, that's a comic artist? What? And then they showed his drawings and there's just teeth. And muscles on top of muscles and tiny feet. I was like, this is incredible. Like, I'd, uh, the comics I grew up with, like, were like my, my dad's comics. I mean, mm. more or less. And to see what they were doing, like, just cracking the genre open, the way McFarlane drew Spider Man, 
the way Jim Lee drew the X-Men. Like, Fucking A. There were upperclassmen in high school who found out I was into comics, and they would just bring these X-Men issues, like uh, before Uncanny came out. Mm-hmm. And it was Jim Lee and Chris Claremont, and I just remember getting my mind blown. And they were like, yeah, this is the good stuff, kids. I remember kids showing me like Hellboy and mm-hmm. Watchmen, uh, which I know is an image stuff, but I just remember like this quality of comics filtering down that just blew my mind. And when I, by the time I was ready to graduate high school, I was like, I want to be a comic artist. When was the first time you read Watchmen? Oh, probably art school. Oh, okay. My friend showed it to me in high school and my brain wasn't ready for it. Mm. It was nuts. Like it was a total, like it was like an acquired taste or thing or something, or just mm. I, I literally, I think my brain just wasn't prepared. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this looks dull. It, it, you know what? It looked like my dad's comics. It looked mm. like, Oh, nine panel grid. These characters look normal and there's composition and anatomy's right. This is too too lame for me. <laughs> <laughs> where are the bandoliers filled with bullets? Yes, yes. Where are the shoulder pads and the teeth? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got older, when I was young, a young man, I was like, oh, this is fucking amazing. Like, and I just remember reading it and seeing the pacing. I mean, just that, that page of the light blinking outside of Rorschach's mm. apartment. Mm. Uh, where, like, just... The the way he was telling, de- like depicting time passing through this like flash of color on these nine panels just blew my mind open. And also, like I I feel like there are very few comics. Look, I love comics. This this, this is not going to be negative, but it might sound a little negative. I love comics in every way, shape, and form. That being said, most comics are not as complex and rereadable as Watchmen, hmm. which I feel like you know there's. A lot of, there, I read an interview with Alan Moore a couple weeks ago where he was like, you know, in the last forty years, nothing's been made that's been come even close to Watchmen. Where he was saying it as like a fucking poo-poo, people aren't making good comics, which is not true. Comics mm. are fucking better now than they were, maybe ever. Like yeah. there's so much good stuff being made yeah. right now across the board. Across the board. That being said, I don't know if anything as complex as Watchmen has been made, and specifically as rereadable. Like mm. I. A bunch of my friends and I are doing this thing called Shitty Watchmen, which we've talked I, about. I've seen some Shitty Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically where it's me and 11 other cartoonists and we're, um, we're redrawing the entirety of Watchmen from beginning to end, but crappy. Hmm. Basically as like a treatise on, A, what can you learn from deconstructing the masters? Because it's bar none the most complex comic ever. And B, specifically Dave Gibbons doesn't get any credit because, like you just said, I think a lot of people are like, well, it's, it looks like old comics or it's not mm-hmm. flashy. Or, I, don't, I don't know what they don't like about it, really. Yeah. I, I kind of do. His faces are a little weird, um, which I think turns off a lot of people. Really? Yeah, I really think it – like when I worked at a comic book store, the owner didn't like Watchmen. Which is a crazy thing to me. That sounds like a priest not believing in God. That's right? Like, that's and like he was like, yeah, I don't like it. That dude's faces are weird. They all kind of look the same. And I was like, what? It's a comic book. Yeah. Like, calm down. But Jesus. also, like, it's... But it's, this is the one time, though, where it's not just a comic book. Mm-hmm. It's the most complex visual narrative made in Western culture. Like, mm. the amount of detail... And recurring motifs that are depicted visually is staggering. Mm-hmm. I up even till today, literally today, I was working on issue twelve of Shitty Watchmen, mm-hmm. uh, finishing it up because uh, <laughs> tomorrow's the deadline. And um, <laughs> I never realized that in issue twelve, when 
the world buys Ozymandias's lie that the aliens have invaded New York and killed all those people. When he stands up and throws his arms in the air and says, I did it, his body and the background make a clock hitting midnight, which is one of the visual themes in the book. So yeah. there's all these clocks counting down to midnight, which is the, you know, the means of metaphor that we use to communicate when nuclear Armageddon is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And him, uh, it's him, it's th- his body is literally making the clock face, which is also making the yellow smiley face if you look at the painting behind him coupled with the fucking, uh, like, end table that's in front of his little computer monitor thing. Yeah. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't even get over the amount of thought that both of those people put into that book because it's not just Alan Moore. I love mm-hmm. Alan Moore. Yeah. But Dave Gibbons fucking murdered that shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so we were doing this book basically as a means of studying it to feed the masters and trying to pull any means of little information that we can out. Mm-hmm. And also it's kind of funny to take the most complex thing ever and redo it <laughs> shitty. You know? Well, there's that. There's, there's that. that, you know. But there, but you can't you can't even shittily, you can't ma- you can't mimic something without absorbing like what it is. Yeah. And you can't you can't deny like the skill and everything you just said about David Gibbons' work in that book. And I think that's the stuff my brain wasn't ready to accept yet as a as a young teen. And then when I was like in my later teens, early 20s, when I saw it, I was just like, holy shit. And especially since I had started making comics, like, and really wanting to do it professionally, I was able to see it as like this work of art and as just this huge piece of work. Mm-hmm. That's so much work. And you're right, the, the meticulous like nature and all the little visual cues and every little bit of it, even, even the changes in styles when he goes back and draws the black ship. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, those yeah. stories look completely different but they're still drawn by him yeah it's amazing the one that really blew my mind today was you know how there's the motif of the two people kissing with the fire or yeah yeah all it's throughout? all it's everywhere but mm-hmm. yes there is that one too where it's there it's that dream that dan has where it's him and laurie kissing and mm-hmm. uh it's that same you know person with their hands on the other person's cheeks kissing each other yeah, and that couple has it on the boat the scientists ha- right the, the scientists have it on the boat mm-hmm. there's two there's a a nuclear shadow scar on a wall in the 12th issue Ooh. um it's all over the place but what never clicked for me is that when dan and Lori finally cement their relationship after manhattan is killed rorschach mm-hmm. and they're in that weird pool in the underground basement they do that pose which is a like a, a lengthwise like three panel width on the bottom of one page, and the top of the next page, which is also a three-panel length on the top, is Rorschach's mask, and Rorschach's mask is making the same kissing motif in a negative space. That they, it's it's mind-blowing. Wow. I mean, not only is the the actual narrative in terms of, like, oh, we're going to usurp the third-act climax of, like, a villain giving you a fucking... His plan. Mm-hmm. Like, he already did it. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he's not the bad guy, sort of. He is, but he isn't. Um, like, not only is that shit all so artfully done, mm-hmm. but then every layer dropping down from that is even more complex and artfully done. Yeah. So much so that, I mean, I'm fucking almost 30 years old, and I'm still <laughs> finding shit in this book. <laughs> well, still. That's, that's why you reread it. That's the great thing about it. Yeah. See, seeing you guys do Shitty Watchmen made me want to reread it. <laughs> I, like, I haven't read it in years. I'm like, I need to get this back. But <clears throat> yes, everything you're saying is. Yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't even know how we got talking about Watchmen. 
I don't know. Ah, I said uh, my brain wasn't ready for it as a oh, teen. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if mine was either. I, I enjoyed it, though. I, I didn't reject it, but I definitely did not understand everything about it. When did you read it? I read first it first time? when I was, like, 16, 17, mm. and I was like, I don't get this. I don't understand why this is cool. Mm. I don't get this. And then basically up until, like, the, the symmetry issue, Fearful Symmetry, is that six or five? I think it's six. The, it, it's the one where somebody tries to kill... Uh, Adrian Veidt and the whole front half of the issue is the same as the back half where every Ooh. all the layouts mimic each other Whoa. and the panel like everything is exactly mirrored Jeez. that's the one where I was like uh, okay alright <laughs> okay this is cool mm-hmm. um, and then each time reading it subsequently I've been like oh fuck this is crazy wow I need to man I gotta, I gotta pick this up <laughs> <laughs> you're making me want to read it now just, can we just call this interview okay can yeah, just fuck it. Read, yeah fuck it read let's, just, let's just read Watchmen together out loud can we read out loud and do the voices yeah yeah exactly <laughs> uh, my aunt used to do that for me I was really into Tintin as a ah, kid that's good uh, stuff it's amazing mm-hmm. um, as long as you can look past the racism um, what racism that's how people are <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> Oof. I'm kidding Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> There's some there's some stuff in there, but the way yeah, I yeah. The well, way, I mean, look at the look at the what's his name the the spirit oh the yeah sidekick. good lord the sad thing about that is Ebony Ivory is Will Eisner trying to be progressive oh. and it's just so racist <sighs> I mean it's history yeah or not <laughs> or not it's not really history I don't know. Not anymore I don't know it's it's I don't have any defense for <laughs> Ebony Ivory. It's, no, it's, no, it's I don't think anyone up. does. Yeah, um, but and not that I'm defending everything that Hergé did in Tintin, mm-hmm. but the way I look at Tintin is that you get to see someone unlearning their bigotry in real time. Really? Because he did a the I think it's the fourth or third book, uh, the Black or uh, Blue Lotus. Mm-hmm. Um, he had said in some interview because he did. Tintin in the land of the Soviets, Tintin in the Congo, which is the really racist one. And <laughs> Tintin then, in the Congo. Oof, Where could they go racist with oof, that? <laughs> like, super racist. Okay. And then Tintin in America, which is super one-dimensional. And, like, Tintin fights a mafia gang. Like, uh, never touch me, kappa. Whoa, are they all eating spaghetti? <laughs> throwing <laughs> that, that and gets kidnapped by Native Americans. Oh, because God. Because had no, or Hergé had no idea of, like... American time. He was just like movies. They have cowboys and native gangsters. peoples and uh, gangsters. So, so the gangsters going to shoot Tintin, and an arrow goes through like, his arm. Literally, oh, literally. Um, so he did those three books, and then you know at this point Tintin or Tintin was like a a global icon. Like people mm-hmm. loved him, and so he was in this interview uh, in a very prominent. Um, Belgian newspaper saying, or French newspaper, one of the two, saying, like, yeah, my next one's going to be set in China, and it's going to be crazy. And this guy who was a Chinese art teacher uh, named Bernard Chang sent him a letter and was like, hey, look, uh, one, your drawings aren't very good. Two, you're getting these cultures super wrong. Mm -hmm. How about you come live with me, and I will help you. Uh, learn how to draw better, and you can learn about Chinese culture, and I'll teach you, and you can make your book here, like, actually set here. Like, learn. Oh, wow. And he did, and these he, Bernard Chang be- became, like, his lifelong friend, like, his best friend. Wow. 
Um, and he learned perspective <laughs> and also, like, became fairly progressive. Like, the book is about a group of Japanese soldiers being interned uh, in, like, a Chinese war, prisoner of war camp, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which nobody in the Western media was covering because it's like, well, fuck the Japanese. Oh, yeah, They're terrible. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was the time, of the time, not I'm saying that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he made the, the whole book about this weird piece of culture that nobody was talking about, but because he didn't really have to answer to anybody, he could just choose to be progressive. Wow. <laughs> as opposed to being shitty and racist like he yeah. was before. Um, Interesting. I don't, how do, why am I the one talking? You're, I'm supposed to be interviewing I, you. I'm learning about Tintin. This is great. Um, so, yeah, I... I a, I love the drawings, and B, I love seeing somebody learn in real time. Yeah. Well, I like the I love the fact that Chang reached out to him and was like, "Okay, clearly, yeah. we're not on the same side. Of, we're not on the same side of this race thing." But I feel like I could help you get out of here. Yeah, pit. it's super, super yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that that uh, the creator Tintin, what's his name again? Hergé. Hergé. That he um, accepted. Yeah. And he went out there. He was humble enough to say, "Yeah, I'm not that great." Yeah. And I know nothing about other cultures. It's super cool. And it's also crazy. The kind of heartbreaking, like, denouement at the end of the story is that he went there, became best friends with this guy. He spent, like, a year there, eight months there, mm-hmm. and then went back to Belgium. And they became, like, letter best big pen pals. Pen like, pals. Yeah. Wow. But they never saw each other again until they were both, like, 70. Oh, my God. And because, you know, in 1940, it's hard to get across the globe to China. Um <laughs> <laughs> You're I mean, like, man, it wasn't that hard. There were planes. <laughs> I don't know. But regardless, they never they didn't see each other again until they were like, you know, in their late sixties, early seventies. And there's news footage of uh Bernard Chang getting off the airplane in Brussels and like there's this huge crowd and Hergé's there because at this point this story had been like kind of urban legend, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's there and he's like, you know, the the Belgian celebrity. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it's fucking heartbreaking to see these two men embrace and just start weeping and there's oh. all these people around like oh. uh, Europe they like comics in Europe you know what they don't hear they don't like comics here. Uh, <laughs> I you can't tell from all the movies but that's but no, not that's, comics though I know I know but that's a beautiful story that's, isn't it though it's so nice um, when did you have your kind of realization that you were gonna dedicate yourself to it because making comics is not an easy thing it isn't i keep learning that every five years i'm like wait this is a lot of work yeah it's sad and strange would you ever work with an inker or like someone to help you make it yeah no the the art's my i mean i love writing but the art is my like personal touch that's my real personal touch so i don't think i'd have anyone beyond a colorist right even on uh like work for hire stuff like innovator zim they offered me uh an inker and I declined. It's like, ah, eh, I'd rather just ink myself. But um, and is that a purely creative motivated decision, or also financially? Because it's like, well, it's also more money. It's both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're penciling and inking, I mean, you're making that's like a that's a decent pay bump, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all like it's it's a blend of that and just creatively. Like, I like inking my own work. Mm-hmm. I'd, be, I'd be curious to see someone ink my work, but at the same time, I'm not. Not champing at the bit for it. <laughs> if you had to choose somebody, who would you choose? Mm. Oh, my God. Dead or alive? <laughs> Your choice. Oh, God. Uh, if I could get Sergio Topi to ink mm. anything I touched, mm. my God. Um, I, you know, I'd love to give some like rough pencils to a guy like Ralph Steadman mm. or something like that. He would just go bonkers on it. Yeah. Or even I hear, um, I hear Sienkiewicz, Bill Sienkiewicz, oh, yeah. when he inks, I hear he just does his own thing. 
So, like, you might just, your pencils might yeah, get scrapped and yeah. they'll just draw something really badass that puts you to shame. And then you, but you still get the credit for it, though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is so bullshit. <laughs> like, I don't, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that about him um, as an inker. Like, yeah. people are like, oh, yeah, he's just tracing the other guy. Like, oh, no. What? No. 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 Inkers, inkers, they'll see stuff you just don't in the pencils and mm-hmm. they elevate the work. That whole fight in, uh, was that, Clerks or Chasing uh, Amy? Chasing Amy. Yeah. And that whole fight in Chasing Amy. That's, yeah. that's true. Like, they add depth and dimension. They, Fucking A. And a bad inker can fuck you up. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I've, see, I don't have to deal with that. No, you don't. Myself. No, you don't. But at the same time, though, then it's also a commitment of you have to, it takes literally twice as long. It or does. When you're, when you're penciling, do you, do you, and you're inking yourself, do you kind of take shortcuts because you know that, like, oh, I'm going oh, yeah. to fill that in? Yeah, yeah. You can, unless you're, if, if you're showing your pencils, like, at the pencil stage, you have to, like, present them to an editor, then you have to be a little more... Uh, you have to put a little more detail in them. Uh, like that was my process on Invader Zim. Was uh, I was working digitally from penciling from layouts that uh, Aaron Alexovich did. Uh, he's the creator of uh, of uh, Serenity Rose. Uh, he's worked on many comics and mm-hmm. worked in animation together. But yeah, he was doing my layouts, so I would digitally work with him at his uh, layouts to make pencils. And then I, for the first issue I did, I would print them out blue line onto watercolor paper, mm-hmm. and I'd ink those. And I was like, ah, what am I doing? So I just started penciling really tight in a manga studio mm. uh, um, uh, using the Cintiq. And then I would get those like those approved. If there were any fixes, it was just so much faster to do in the computer. Mm-hmm. And then I would just clean up my pencils, and those were my inks, quote-unquote. Mm. Hmm. So, yeah. Did you get any backlash from that? And not backlash, but just in terms of we want it to be traditional. Like, were they trying to enforce a specific work method on you? Oni? Oh god, no, no, no. I mean, their main concern, I think, Jonan Jonan Vasquez's concern was just that I stayed on model, mm-hmm. that I uh, stayed like in the realm of Invader Zim. So I'd uh, I'd turn in pencils or inks, and uh, every now and then I'd get notes back from Jonan saying, "Oh, Dib's head is rounder," or. Gaz's eyes are lower on her head, like this, just little bitty things. Hmm. But that was more like animation than comics. Mm-hmm. Like, it was interesting. Like Invader Zim was very much a an animation style workflow, uh, just because it was such a functioning machine. Like that was a very much a team effort from the editor on down. It's so interesting. I I think we've even talked about this briefly a couple times in terms of like, could a manga studio not the program, but the, a literal manga studio style production method of, you know, a head creative person and a bunch of assistants, mm-hmm. kind of like how animation works. Yeah. Could that work here in the U.S.? Oh, God, yeah. You think so? I, I think so. I mean, you'd have to get people on board, but it's any, any project is a function of the creators and the team, the workflow. It's like if it's just you. And let me, let me rephrase that. I, in terms of the reason why manga requires 35 people to make the book is because you have to churn out 20 pages every week or every two weeks whatever oh you mean that i'm that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about literal like do you think let's say the new weekly marvel or dc book Mm -hmm. is going to be 22 pages and it's going to be quote-unquote drawn by whoever you it's going to be drawn by dave crossland Mm -hmm. but you're not really going to draw it you're you're kind of doing layouts and then you're kind of show running the art, and it's gonna be, it's gonna churn, and it's gonna be, Whoa. they're gonna put out 48 pages every month or something like that. Wow. Do you think that that some a situation like that would work here in the U.S.? I, hmm, I feel like you'd have to figure out how to fund it 
Mm -hmm. You'd have to figure out how to make those people like salary workers. But after working in animation for like two years, I think you could apply it to comics. Finding the market for it could be different since like book sales are down and from mm -hmm. what they were like years and years ago. Yeah. Um, Even just five years ago, they're down. Yeah. Jesus. So sad. Yeah. We, we need more uh, loot crate deals to <laughs> bump up our sales. <laughs> To the hundreds of thousands. I don't think it's even that. I think it's the, right now we're in like a creative middle ground where there's a bunch of people who have built their name up and who are quote unquote celebrities mm -hmm. who've just left. And so now a lot of the people that are working on big two books that normally would be driving those statistics like whatever Batman's selling, whatever Spider-Man's selling, whatever, because that, unfortunately that's how the mainstream market is dictated is by those big franchise level books mm -hmm. um i think the creators that are on those haven't connected with readers in the same way that let's say a bendis or a matt fraction or a rick remender have yet mm -hmm. not that i'm saying they won't i'm just saying i think that we're kind of in a generational middle ground hmm. um where there are people that are well known but are not a-list talent in terms of a stereotypical a-list talent okay like i love jeff lemire mm -hmm. that dude is the fucking best do I think that Jeff Lemire's career and, you know, whoever Jeff Johns are analogous? Not really. Because, hmm. you know, when, when Bendis took over Avengers, sales went through the roof. Because hmm. he is somebody that's a died-in-the-wool, like, A, a died-in-the-wool Avengers fan, and B, someone who brought an extremely new and unique take on the book. Mm -hmm. And some of this could be editorial. This is all just my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I look at people like Cullen Bunn, who I love Sixth Gun. I think it's one of the best comics the last 10 years, period. Mm -hmm. Full stop. And then I look at his run on Moon Knight, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on there, but that wasn't him showing up fully. And I don't know if that's just he got a bad artist in terms of the artist couldn't fit the editorial edict of what they needed, mm -hmm. or if he's just not a Moon Knight guy or whatever. But I didn't see like the spark... Mm -hmm. Of like when Matt Fraction was on Punisher or when Matt Fraction took over Iron Man or when Matt Fraction was on Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. Like that's somebody who's bringing a unique perspective that then drives sales to a book that normally like oh. I, I literally could not name another Iron Fist run that's exciting. Hmm. I like that new Power Man in Iron Fist. but I agree, but that's slightly different. And also, I don't know if that book sells Iron Fist numbers either. Ugh. I wanted to, because hmm. David Walker's a fucking dope writer. Dave His Shaft it. thing was great. Sanford Green is killer on that art, too. Oh, my God, right. yeah. Yeah, also, those guys are doing great. Sanford Green, I feel like that guy doesn't get any credit either. Really? He's, yeah, I feel like people know who he is, and they're like, oh, you worked in animation or whatever. Eh. Yeah. But I feel like... He, people need to wake up. I No, I agree. I think he's fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. But I feel like he's one of those people that's kind of just been around and hasn't gotten his full due. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. That's the see, that's the hearing you say this stuff. That makes me wonder about this whole if a manga studio could a, function here and exist here because you could make amazing. Ba I feel like a team could make badass comics. I think think that's a fine way to make books. Clearly, it works for Japan. But uh, will anyone read them? And that's the thing. It's like yeah. would anyone? Is there a hunger for that much comics? You know? Yeah, especially just in terms of. You, I don't think if you were going to do it, I don't think you would you would do floppies. Like the reason why it works in Japan is because it's you're Those in the big, the, the big magazines. The fucking you're buying a tome, yeah, and it's like oh, I'm going to get 22 pages of this and 22 pages of that and mm -hmm. whatever. It's going to be great, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think that 
the way we consume comics here is necessarily in, conducive to it unless it was a situation where it's like we're gonna put out an OGN every month mm. where it's like here's an 80 page comic wow it's got a beginning middle and end or you know law and order right mm. every law and order stands alone you can watch them by themselves but if you watch all of them together there's a linking story mm-hmm. and if there was a situation like that where even if it was literally a crime procedural which there's no demand for here but we're thinking out of the box right might as right. well go all the way right a and crime. the detective is a platypus. Oh! There we go. Conanplatypus.org. <laughs> let's, let's do this. I'm, oh, God, I'm, exci- I'm excited. <laughs> He's an NGO. He's an NGO, bro. <laughs> detective. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting conversation that I, I, I... I'm very curious to see. I also, just on a basic ones and zeros level, I don't know if Americans can divorce themselves from the idea of complete authorship. Oh, you mean like being on a team? Yeah. I but don't, I don't know. That's that's what I learned in animation. That, but I don't so. think most people view it that way, though, because that's a director's medium. So when you think of – when the average person thinks of Adventure Time, mm-hmm. Penn Ward is the person making that show, not oh. 35 people. Like, they know other people work on it, but right. Penn Ward is making the show. Well, it's the same thing with, like, talk shows. Like, no one thinks, no one, a lot of people don't understand that, like, Johnny Carson or Conan O'Brien have, like, or had and have joke writers. Yeah, you know? absolutely. It's like, people people don't understand that, like, comedians, like, will trade or buy jokes from each other. Like, the huge name comedians, comedians will buy jokes from oh, yeah. lesser known people. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, fucking, uh... It, 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 yeah, but, I agree. I but, agree. But at the end of the day, I feel like if you're making, it's like Invader Zim. Like I realize that any child or even any grown up Zim fan who's buying volume two that I worked on, they're not buying that because I worked on it. I, typically, maybe the rare person out there is like, oh, Dave did this. But um, people are buying Invader Zim stuff because it's Invader Zim. And whether they're fans of Jonin or just fans of the creation, it's that book isn't about me. That book isn't about my like hopes and wishes and what I want to convey as an artist. You know, that book is was an opportunity for me to work on a team project and do something badass. But uh, you, you kind of have to. There's uh, what you're talking about with ownership and stuff. I mm-hmm. feel like as creators, sometimes we have to do that. That's to step away. You know, do you, from it. Do you? Just, uh, yeah, because uh, it's like a painting. If you sell a painting, and someone and someone interprets it their own way it's not my job to tell them what it is it's my job to make it and see what they feel from it and i'm not saying i want to give up my rights to any comic i write or draw but if i make a thing and someone buys it i can't tell them how to appreciate it you know and i can't be mad at them because they didn't love the fact that i made it they just liked Mm, it mm. you know there are people who read books or see movies are just like that was cool and they walk away they're not in love with the director they're not fawning over the writer if they saw the writer they wouldn't care you know yeah it's interesting though just in terms of you saying like that's something that you were aware of going in Mm -hmm. because that's very hard for me as a creator to like i guess that's not really true but i was gonna say it's hard for me to relate with knowing like oh i i'm not here to fuck shit up i'm here to just put my head down and help these people make this thing because mm-hmm. i've done that i've been you know i've worked in commercials for the past five years of course i've done that yeah. but i guess that's more me being compartmentalized and being like no the comics is where 
I won't compromise because I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then the screenwriting stuff is like, yeah, all right, you want to Fox, you want to pay me to do this thing? Yeah, sure, that's fine if you shit all over this draft. It's yeah. fine because you paid me. Yeah. Um, but it's f- interesting to hear you be that utilitarian with your skill. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's something I struggle with. It's well, I mean, it takes time. It's work, and there, I mean, there are days where you're like, oh, this is a job. Like there are days where like working on comics, like for hire or otherwise, it's just a job. But it's a great job, you know. It's a job I, you know, came here to do. Mm. So uh, I think I just got, um, well, it, maybe it's pride, maybe it's ego, but something, uh, working in animation for two years hammered that stuff out of me, you know, and, and not in a bad way, not in a, like, it broke my spirit mm-hmm. and crushed me. It was more in, like, in dailies on, uh, on I worked on a cartoon for a Disney, a Disney XD show called Randy Cunningham, Ninth Grade Ninja. And uh, the, stu- the studio that made it was a t- Titmouse. Uh, at least we did all the like design and whatnot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like the lead team was at Titmouse. The animation team was in Ireland mm. uh, at a company called, company called Boulder. Huh. But anyway, that's not what you asked me about. <laughs> um, when I was working in animation, I learned very quickly that like, I am just doing, I am just a shiny cog doing this one job. And I'm surrounded by hundreds of other shiny, shiny cogs doing their jobs. And I have to do my job amazingly so that the person next to me can do a great job and so on and so forth. And it really hit home sitting in dailies, like dailies meetings with the design team and our art director and just seeing um, everybody is just a badass. Like that was the greatest thing about being in animation, even for just two seasons on a show was like, it was like going back to school. Like everyone was there for a reason. Everyone had earned their right to be there and everyone was holding up their end of the boat. And so that was when I really was just like, uh, this isn't about me. I'm just going to show up and do my best. And when this project flies, a kid might not know I worked on it, but I'll know. Mm. And I think that's the, that's the thing. You just, it's like a surrendering of the ego and just being willing to be a, bi- a part of something bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. Did you ever, in that ecosystem, think about pitching your own show and writing stuff? Oh, yeah. I did, I did. I actually, when I first moved out here, like I had friends who were pitching cartoons, and I was like, I should pitch cartoons. Yay, it's LA. Um, I pitched like a short while I was working on Randy Cunningham, but yeah, I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that's where I want to be. Why? Uh, I just, I like comics. I like the, mm. I have so much control in comics. In animation, you're talking to development executives and producers, and there's so much money that goes into it. There's so many layers of approvals, and everyone wants to kind of put their fingers in it and into the pie, and, you know, yeah. add something. Um, and I'm, I've seen some amazing cartoons, but I just don't think that's my alley. That's not my path. Hmm. Do, you, do you consciously chart a course for yourself in terms of like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to use that leverage to do this? Or are you kind of more organic in terms of, like, quote-unquote, building a career? <laughs> <laughs> I was more organic in the past. Uh, and after several failures, I realized I needed to kind of take the wheel. Mm. Uh, when, I, when I first started, I was just so gung-ho. I was just still riding that image energy of just like, I just want to make something cool. And that was how I got into zines. Like, I was pitching series to uh, publishers, like Image. And uh, I don't think I did Marvel, but, like, Image, Slave Labor, Fantagraphics. Uh, just weird stories I was coming up with uh, later in art school. And I was getting rejected. And I was like, you know what? Screw this. I'm just going to make mini comics. I'll make zines. Um, and so 
that was the beginning. It was like enthusiasm, just throwing myself at projects. Any job that came along, I was like, I'll do this. Now that I've gotten older, now that I've fallen on my face <laughs> several times. Uh, and actually animation, that was really seeing how cartoons worked, seeing how people who had been in cartoons for a long time worked. I was like, oh, wait, I should kind of you know, take control here. I should guide myself. So now I'm actually on more of a path where I am plotting a course, you know. And, I mean, you're always adjusting the wheel. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I am aiming myself towards something. Hmm. What do you consider your failures? Oh, goodness. Um, geez, moving to L.A. before I was totally ready. Mm. Uh, like fiscally, like you didn't have enough money or emotionally, like you weren't ready to live in a city? Oh, no, fiscally, fiscally. I just moved. I moved here in 2005 mm-hmm. uh, and I was just, I was excited and I had savings, but I didn't have the job prospects I needed. And I, I kind of like f- floundered around and made my way, ended up living in the Bay for like years after that. Um, and then uh, I was up there and I was like, oh, wait, this isn't, I should be back in LA. Like there's no work up here. So mm. Yeah, I, I but I think coming here without like a business mind, like without a fully formed business mind, that was a failure. But you know, any failure is just a new opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. I learned. You know, mm-hmm. I got to learn on my feet. That's interesting though, because it's not a concrete thing of like I put out this book and it got lambasted by critics, or I put out this book and it didn't sell, or whatever. Like it would. Oh. That sounds like a. That's still a very like more emotionally in tuned like oh i as a human mm-hmm. in the real world side of things should have done x y or z but the things that you had mentioned before that you were talking about it like it was a piece of artwork you know what i mean mm-hmm. you, that you were talking about it like you were oh yeah and then i had some failures and i realized oh, the comics they control <laughs> yay um which I guess makes sense if you were out here and didn't have the money that you needed to live comfortably. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to exercise control where I can. Yeah. Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I guess for me, uh, I don't know. I see failure differently. Like uh, anything, anything that's a setback. I mean, I, I could see a breakup, like a bad breakup as a failure. But then you learn about yourself. That's the thing. It's like. I, moments where I've been hurt or hurt or hurt others and I've learned to be better or to plan better. I guess those are my failures. So mm. if you're looking for an actual like job failure. Oh, no, I wasn't mm. looking for anything specifically. I was, it was just interesting the way you had framed them. That's all. Just as a key into who you are. Mm. Um, what, uh, what do you have specific goals going forward? I mean, I know you're pitching a couple, uh, kids books and I know you have a couple comics you're trying to pitch. Um, do you have, like favorite children in that you're like man i really hope this one hits oh god <laughs> well i um not that I, I don't i'm not looking for you to talk about any of your perspective ideas in this per se just well i got this one it's a man with a cape he's from another planet mm-hmm. this guy can fly yeah mm-hmm. like jumping single buildings or jumping buildings in single bound i think earlier in the run because it's gonna be a long one. Oh, it's gonna be a long one he's gonna be just jumping over things mm. but eventually he's gonna fly fucking dope bro man so you're gonna you sell them for like hundred and thirty dollars? <laughs> I think I'm just gonna give them away, you know. Oh man, you're a, you're an egalitarian motherfucker. Eh, you know, the com- world needs this. Comics Positivity. are for the people. Comics are for the people. Are they though? It's not about me. <laughs> it's like Fight Club, you know. I'm not gonna stand in the middle. <laughs> I'm not gonna stand in the middle of the ring. Um, <laughs> um, 
I uh, I, I can't really talk in detail about everything because like contracts aren't signed, but yeah. or anything. But um, I'm working on a, a pitch. Uh, for kind of an urban fantasy thing with uh, Eric Esquivel, who's a fantastic writer, creator of Freelancers uh, and other fine works. But, um, yeah, we're working on a really fun, bizarre <laughs> tale. Uh, so I'm super excited about that. And mm-hmm. uh, I was actually working on layouts for that, for the pitch, before I came out here. Um, I just talked to an editor about a new one-shot thing I'm going to do. And I haven't, haven't signed a contract yet, so, you know, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I'm very excited. To, you should give that away. Uh, <laughs> you should not take any money for it. <laughs> no, no, that one I need. I need. I need to get paid for that one. <laughs> but no, I'm um I'm excited because I, God, I feel it's so premature to even talk about it. But um, without giving anything away, I'm going to be able to work with an established character, but do my take on them. Fuck yeah, which is just playtime for me. That's like gold. So uh, yeah, that and uh, honestly, I'm. I guess I'm equally excited across the board right now, mm. to be honest, because... When You're I w- such a well-balanced, even-keel person. <laughs> it's all the meditation, man. Really? And the heroin. Mm. Um, mm. Note to self. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I Get th- more heroin. <laughs> that was the worst drug That's- I could min- name for balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm, yeah. I'm in Zoloft. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I wake up... I mean... It kind of goes back to what you were saying about failure, because uh, it's easy to wake up and say, like, oh, I'm not where I want to be. My apartment's not big enough. My car isn't flashy enough. My dog isn't mean enough. Like, whatever, you know, whatever it is in your life you don't like. But it's like, I've been doing this. I started working on my first zine in 99, you know. I've been doing this for a while, and I'm still doing it. So it's like, I can't, every day I wake up, and if I have, like, a down moment, I'm like, you're still doing this. You haven't stopped. You're still getting calls from editors. You're still getting hired. People are still buying your books, still ordering my, like, indie stuff online. So like, I'm still here. I'm still doing it. So it's hard to be upset. Do you, do you, do you contemplate legacy? Is that, is that a... Yeah, yeah, I do. I do now. I think that's part of why I'm trying to take so much more control and, like, actually guide the ship. Because I want, I want to have a library of books that I'm, like, super proud of. Mm. Not that I'm not proud of my previous work, but... I really want to start making work that speaks to who I am and the kind of stories I want to tell. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I'm just like work for hire, even on that level, I want to produce art that speaks volumes about me and mm-hmm. about what I've done, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I think that's a strange thing in the, for most artists in terms of you, you can't pick what people enjoy. Going back to what you were saying earlier about like who how how dare you try and tell someone else how to experience something, mm-hmm. um, I think it's a weird thing because it you know as a as the creator of something you're like oh yeah this is the my statement on water bottles man mm-hmm. it's so crazy and then someone else reads it and they're like yeah that. That thing you made about Seven Up, that shit was crazy. I'm like, what? <laughs> How did you get? Yeah. All right. But it's a reaction, which is really all that you want at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Positive or negative. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to me that you're so zen and so positive and so kind of like I'm weathering the course. I'm 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 gonna fuck up, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going, man. It's been a long trip, and it's only gotten better. You know, I mean, every year things have gotten better. Even years where things. Actually, uh, every year, some years things got worse, but I learned from them. It's like I learned and I grew, you know. It's like I was um, 
I reached a point maybe a month ago where I was just like, what am I doing? What, what am I doing here? And I was just confused and kind of beside myself and wondering how to push forward. And I remembered like back to Jesus almost 10 years ago now where like a point where my life kind of like imploded a little bit mm-hmm. or a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was super broke. And I was I looked around and was like, wait, this isn't the life I want. And I had to build myself up. And then I did. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I the Zen thing, I'm not some total like Zen master, like floating <laughs> on a mountain doing one arm push ups mm-hmm. like in space or something. But um it's just I I'm learning and I've learned to look around and appreciate what I have. And like I said, when I wake up, it's like I have this like bevy of or this like just little spread of pitches that I'm working on. One's like a collaboration. One is a like this long haul like children's book or not children's book, a young adult graphic novel I want to make. The other one's just a webcomic where I'm like, oh, this will be fun. You know, and then there's my job work, like where I'm like, oh, I have deadlines, I have an art show, I have uh, an illustration or a commission that's due. But none of those things are like, I mean, they're work, but they're not a slog. You know, it's like people are giving me money. I'm making a living by drawing and writing and coming up with fantastical ideas that might get published or are going to get published or hung on a wall. Someone's going to see this and maybe it'll affect them. You know, maybe someone will see my work and it will make them want to be a writer or a comic artist or a painter the same way that other creators did that for me. I feel like that's already happened without doubt. Ah. I mean, A, I know that because I've told you this, that my illustration teacher in college was obsessed with you. Ah. But I'm sure that it was more than just him. There's no way that it couldn't be. Uh, I hope so. It's, It's You mentioned legacy. You asked about legacy and I... Uh, even though I did, I know I talked about divorcing myself from the work and just being like, okay, it's out there now. Enjoy it however you see fit. But um, I do, I do want to leave the world better than I found it. You know, I want to leave like, oh, I did all this cool stuff. You know, I left things for people to dig, people to enjoy. And it's funny because I, I always get a little, I don't know, a little grumpy cat when I'm like, uh, when people freak out over comics. I'm like, come on, man, they're just comics. They're just comics, but. No, it's really exciting. It's really dope to see people have this childish glee over some just cool, weird shit like fantasy and myth and stories. You know, it's it's an amazing thing this, to know that a human can make something, uh, any piece of art, like a film, comic or whatever, and that a complete stranger on the other side of the planet can see it and just flip out over it or be inspired or think differently. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like how many kids... How many kids do something bold because they saw like a hero do it, you know, mm. like a fictional hero? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's really, it's really, <laughs> this might be embarrassing to share, but like, I got over my fear of roller coasters because of like Obi Wan Kenobi and Batman. I was on a roller coaster and I was terrified. I mean, I was super terrified of roller coasters as a kid, but I got over it because I was on a coaster. And uh, I was like, Batman does this all the time in the Batwing. You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. <laughs> and I was. And I'm no longer afraid of roller coasters. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Almost. Not that that's saving the world or anything, but. It's a small step. <laughs> it is. It it's is. a small step. Next. Slowly but surely. <laughs> Next step, piloting rocket ships shaped like nocturnal animals. Yes, because that's so aerod- aerodynamic. Yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, it worked in the movies. I've seen it. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I'm not going to argue the science. All right, good. That's a different podcast. Are you uh, Are you reading any comics these days? What's your comics reading habit oh, like? Man, my comics reading habit is is poor to below average. 
<laughs> no, I'm um, I bought a lot of comics last year, and I had friends give me comics. Um, and I'm now catching up on them this year. Mm. That's my my deal. Um, God, it was the last comic I was reading. I've been reading Frostbite. Mm-hmm. Um, out on uh, DC Vertigo. Hmm. Trying to get into the new, or not new, it's not new anymore, the Doctor Strange mm-hmm. series. The that, Jason uh, Aaron Bakla one? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that thing's fucking great. Yeah, I got, I got the first trade, but I just haven't cracked it open. Oh, it's so good. It's weird. I'm trying to think now because I have tons of comics. Oh, Prince of Cats. Yeah. Yes. I've been, I've been really, really falling into, into this Wimberley's art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, he's all right or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's all right. Or, or, I know. I love his shit. He's I, so good. Yeah, Ron, Ronald, Ronald Wimberley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I saw his, um, I saw like a video or something he made about that and about what he was trying to accomplish with it. And I was just I'm like, my mind's blown. I need to read this. Fuck so, yeah. No, it's really, it's really, really good. Yeah. I, I love comics. I love, I, I loved it. Um, there's so much coming out now, but I'm, I always find myself overwhelmed when mm. I go to the shop. Hmm. I'm just like, there's so much, there's so much good stuff. And that's why I'll buy a batch of books and then <laughs> they sit on my shelf. And yeah. I go through them over years and years. You're like, oh God. For five years from now, you're going to be like, man, that Jason Aaron, Chris Bacalo, <laughs> Doctor Strange. <laughs> that shit was straight up dope. <laughs> yes, yes. As the flying cars swoop by. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, Doctor Strange died two years ago. Yeah, well, don't say it. It's totally going to happen. It's okay, he'll come back. Yeah, he'll die for a year and then come back for the movie. He'll come back as Dormammu. Oh, you just, you just, why are you not pitching that? I did last week. Oh. And Marvel said yes. Oh, it comes out tomorrow. You heard, you heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's pronounced zine exclusive. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. Uh, you were, oh, um, actually, I have caught up on Southern Bastards. Ooh, cool. I, I, I love that book. I, I as well love that book. It's brutal. Fucking love it so much it makes me stutter. Jason Latour. Killer. Killer. Killer work. Killer. Also, I can't think of anybody that looks like him. In terms of his art. Like, it's so... Mm. I mean, yes, you can see little bits here or there. You know, this person, that person. Mm-hmm. But I love his, like, almost gestural quality while still being mm. slightly rigid. Yes. And the weird, like, contour lines where he doesn't pick up the pen and just kind of, like, draws someone's eyes, eyebrows, and nose in, like, one line. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so good stuff. cool. It's good stuff. It reminds me of a... Uh, it's got kind of a Liefeld kind of deal thing going to it <laughs> i'm lying i've never Stop. i've never read southern bastards no i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> i have read it i'm just trying to work how great would in. that be though if you were like yeah i love the way he draws teeth it is very liefeldian yes <laughs> i love That's his tiny thing. liefeldian feet <laughs> i'm actually just trying to work rob liefeld into every every answer <laughs> i failed horribly i'm not gonna lie i love his fighting american shit dude his stuff got me into comics I told him that once. I saw him in a show. I was like, "Dude, you got me to move. You, you seeing you as a, your work as a teenager made me want to become a comic artist." It's true. Director man mm. S- sold it for you. Yeah, it did. I don't know his fighting American work, but mm. have you seen the comic where Jesus climbs off the cross? Uh, Armageddon. Uh, Olympus Armageddon or something. Something like that. Yes, I know what you're talking about. No, I have not read it. Oh god, is it good? It's amazing. I saw I saw it online. I saw like someone had snagged it and had it online. But God, Jesus just whoops, whoops those gods, whoops them. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. He he's I love him because he's so unrelentingly positive. Mm. I love him 
not necessarily for his artwork. Mm-hmm. Which parts of it I actually dig, and parts of it I'm like, nah, I'm all right. Uh, but I love the fact that like the entire industry as a whole is basically like, fuck you, Rob! Mm-hmm. And he's like, sweet, have a nice day! Yeah. <laughs> for 20 years. You know that man's made his money, and he still don't work. I mean... How crazy is people, that shit? I know, people panned him for the Captain America with the big tits, but the man's still working. Still working. He's still a name. You say that name in any comic shop. How people crazy know who is he that? Is. It's fucking crazy. It's just, I mean, you got celebrities who like freak out at their 40s and or 50s and turn into racists or like oh, yeah. have horrible divorces and stuff. I, as far as celebrities go, I think he's doing fine. I agree. Although it's pretty funny that he's the comic book version of a celebrity. And he absolutely is. Mm-hmm. But it's just so weird and how tiny this industry is. <laughs> it's like Rob Liefeld, the human who can barely draw, is a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> so cold. I love so I love honest. him. I love him. <laughs> but you know what? The technical facility behind drawing is not necessarily what people relate to. They relate to him being like he's the the living personification of like a nine year old's id, where it's like, mm. what's cool? Guns, robot arms, scars, and muscles. <laughs> I'm put all those things in the comic book. Yeah, I'm putting them in the comic book. <laughs> and that's like that's what his his books are. And I that's rad. Yeah. I think that's super cool that he did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. impossible for me not to sound sarcastic. I'm trying no, to be genuine. No. <laughs> I, it's really I cool that he I did that. No, it's uh, everything you described though is why I got into his work. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, sure, <laughs> absolutely. Muscles. Muscles, gums. <laughs> gums? Where, where them gums at? When did he turn to Popeye? I'm not sure. <laughs> yuck, 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 yuck. Good lord. Uh, you're right now in like a hibernation productivity mode, right? You're not like going to a ton of conventions. I wouldn't go to hibernation, but... I'm you know what? But there's, but there's a difference between like oh. I'm, going to, I'm going on tour, I'm like... Oh yeah, doing that, and then I'm I'm focusing on the making of the art. Yeah, that's like your band shit. Like you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm not touring. I'm recording the album. Yeah. yeah. Um, do you have tips for people who are trying to do that in terms of they find it difficult to stay productive when they're in this period? Hmm. I, I would say just focus on the goal. Like, like have your goal in front of you. Have reminders of it around your studio space. Like know what you're pushing towards and just break it down like don't get overwhelmed break the big things down a little bits and just attack them seek help where you need it but just and even if you even if it's not like oh you're my designer if it's like oh you're my buddy i'm gonna send you pages every week and get your input on it and just because mm-hmm. the more the more you share it with people the easier it is to be like people are expecting this you know maybe not the fans but my colleagues are all expecting me to finish this mm. you know i would say that and just Take breaks when you can. Like, even if you're not doing shows, if there's a show in your neighborhood or your city or whatever, go check it out. Walk the floor, talk to an editor, you know, but then go back to the lab and get to creating. <laughs> the beep boop beep boop beep boop oh, yeah. the, the hacking of the planet. I'm That's making, how I do it. I'm, this is terrible radio. <laughs> I'm making typing <laughs> motions. We get, you need a narrator. We need. I really need. need yes. Somebody, Aristotle, Aristotle, get on it. Get on it, Aristotle. <laughs> um, word. Uh, but yeah, the. Um, the lab, the lab time. It's good. Do you like the production period or do you like the touring period more? I like them both, but you can't do one without the other. Like, I've done shows where I show up and I don't have any new books. And fans are like, why are you here? And like, I have no idea. <laughs> and yeah, that's not a fun place to be. Hmm. Like, it's, it's nice to do a show when you have something, when you have like a signing to do or something to announce. So 
I like. I don't know. I'm. I enjoy being locked away and working. And plus, it's it's like a mystery. People are like, "What the hell are you doing?" It's like that Tom Waits song. Yeah. What's he building in there? <laughs> you know, I'm sure my neighbors are all confused and afraid. Are they? You think? No, they they hear my music. I just play like horror movies really loud. Oh, I love <laughs> they hear this. the screaming. <laughs> the bones cracking. Yeah, I'll just put Hostel on. Yeah. Hostel, the whole trilogy. Yeah, crank the volume There's up. There's three of them. I don't know. I think I've only seen two. <laughs> Can't you tell I'm lying about all of this? No, no, you're serious. No, you're mm. serious. Don't destroy this for me. <laughs> I'm building. I'm building my idea of Dave Crossland, the artiste. Nah, yeah, my neighbors are fine. They think I, one thought I was a musician because mm-hmm. I listen to so much weird music, or not weird music, just different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nope, I make comic books. And she and then she was like, they still make those? Yes. She got disinterested and walked mm-hmm, away. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a woman, I had a woman do that to me. This comics, this was a long time ago, like 2010. But yeah, I was at a, like a wine and cheese party. And I was like, oh, I make comic books. And she's like, oh, well, I prefer books without pictures. It was just like, what? what, what <laughs> I prefer people without shitty attitudes. Yes. When she pulled off her mask and she was worth them. So. <laughs> Hey, fuck you, Frederick Wortham. Yeah, that guy. Ah, oh, fuck that asshole. Yeah, well, he didn't kill the industry. He just crippled it for a while. He just crippled it permanently, probably, and forever. But it's fine. We'll never know. In some alternate universe, comics are like the leading medium. Like TV shows are turned into comics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That alternate universe is called Japan. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You can go there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so stupid. Uh, where can people find you on the internet, my friend? My goodness. Uh, you can find me on Dave... Cobb. What? What is that? DaveCrossland.com? Yes. Dave, yeah. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was alien speak for DaveCrossland.com. Yes. So concise, so centered. It's your name and a .com. It is, it is. You, uh, it took me years to figure it out. Yeah. I'm, my name's so common I can't do that. Are you kidding? No. Hmm. Mine's HeyDaveBaker.com. That's Which pretty cool. Is, it's it's close enough, but it's also annoying that I can't just have my name. But it's neat. Every time someone's going to your site, they're yelling out your name. It, pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to make it better, though. It's kind of crappy. I need to make mine better. Everyone needs to make their website better. Dave, which is so where the positive? Which is where the ad for Squarespace hey, or Wix or whatever, whatever comes the fuck. In. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> make space. Yeah. Site maker. Yeah, it's either that or a fucking jack-in-the-box on our podcast, which is so stupid. Really? We, there was one where it was like, jack-in-the-box, do you want some sandwiches? Cool. And then, like, the <laughs> intro to the show, and I was like, god damn it. <laughs> I thought that was just you. Don't get it. Oh, yeah, it's just me being like, jack <laughs> Classic radio. Don't you supposed to have a button machine? Yeah, yeah. To the the bam, 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 the ball. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's so stupid. I know it, there's a DJ at this bar I like a lot who's a good DJ, but every time he breaks on the mic, he goes, bam, bam, bam. Instead of having the noise, the machine. So I guess it's almost better that way. I, I enjoy that more. I like the fact that it's some guy who can't afford a fucking air horn. That's so good. What's his name? Give him a shout out. You know his name? Uh, I don't. I don't. DJ Mouthhorn. <laughs> he de- DJ he- Mouthhorn, we see you! <laughs> he de- no, he DJs uh, weekends at the uh, at the Woods in Hollywood. It's a really dope little bar. Um, and yeah, he plays some amazing music. They're always women dancing when I go to his nights, so... I love it. DJ yeah. Mouthhorn, I'm going to check you out. DJ Mouthhorn, keep it up. I'm keep a fan. Keep it up. Fuck yeah. Mr. Crossland, dear friend, 
Thank you for talking to me about dumb shit. Dave Baker, it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Comic at theactionhospital.com. Find me on Instagram at xdavebakerx. Same on Twitter. And uh, come find me on the Facebooks. Just Dave Baker. Uh, if you'd like to find the show, it's at meltcomics.com. Uh, and it's obviously named, it's pronounced Zine. <laughs>